You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, what's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And to you listening wherever you are today at WWL.com, we have a huge show for you. I really mean that tonight. I try to do my best Conan O'Brien every night saying that, but no, I really mean it today. And one of my favorite shows of the year is always when we update our NFL quarterback tier rankings. Listen to the show for a few years. This goes back actually to when T-Bob and I were doing the show together. We started a tradition where a couple of times a year we would go through all 32 NFL starting quarterbacks and we put them into one of six tiers from the elite down to replacement level or guys who you know should be playing in the CFL, maybe starting in the CFL. So we've done that. I've done that. We just released it on the website at WWL.com. You're going to want to check it out there. Big piece, lots of research. And starting at about 830, we're going to get into this. And I guarantee you there are some surprises here and some areas you're really going to disagree with me. But I'll try to lay out my argument for why uh, I believe the tiers are the way they should be. Watching the NBA playoffs tonight, two big games. Milwaukee trying to close out Boston in Milwaukee. 52-39 there at halftime. Yanis uh, uh, going off. Looks like Horford seven points too. Miritich 10 points for uh, Milwaukee Bucks off the bench. Nice to see him going. Um, no, uh, Miritich starting tonight. My apologies. Um, actually, Yanis not going off. Only six points. I had the wrong numbers in front of me, but only six points on two of six shooting. I remember he had, what, he had 39 the other night. It's actually Miritich who leads them with 10 points, 2 of 5 from 3 for Nico. 13 points for Kyrie Irving in what might be his final game in a Boston Celtics uniform. Later tonight, it's the Rockets and the Golden State Warriors in a monster game five. I'll tell you, if Houston wins that game and they go back home with a 3-2 series lead and having won three in a row, that series might be over and the Warriors' dynasty might be over. I mean, this is a one of the bigger days, bigger games recently in, in the NBA. And I say recently because, you know, the last couple of years, the Warriors have just run through the playoffs, including the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals. It was three years ago when we had that, that series with the Cavs, when they came back from that deficit and won, um, won a championship. Really, the last two years in the NBA playoffs have been rather boring and a foregone conclusion. Last year, you had that game seven between Houston and Golden State. Rockets were banged up. So you kind of entered that game seven thinking, well, it would be real surprise if Golden State loses that game. Well, this year, because those two teams are relatively healthy, Clay Thompson isn't playing well. Steph can't seem to hit the broadside of a barn from beyond the arc, including what would have been a tying three against Houston a couple of days ago at the end of regulation. I think this is close to an actual toss-up here. Now, Vegas disagrees. They've got the Rockets as a six – excuse me, they've got the Warriors as a six-point favorite. This is at the Oracle in Oakland. Hey, maybe it's the final game at the Oracle as they've got that new arena outside Oakland. Oakland, after this year, would have no professional sports franchises, major professional sports franchises. Bay Area would. Oakland would not. We also will talk about LSU baseball on this show. Just a humiliating loss to Louisiana Tech yesterday. Now, La Tech's a good baseball team. They're going to be in a regional. 
in the top 30 in the RPI. I mean, that's a good baseball team, but they just got thumped, did LSU, 12-1 to yesterday. And it was, I guess, just right on cue for what I wrote earlier this week, questioning whether Paul Maneri, the LSU baseball head coach, is and should be on the hot seat. Now, I said my personal opinion is he should not be. I mean, we're less than two years removed from him guiding the Tigers to that College World Series final. Less than two years from that. But I know that I'm in the minority with LSU fans. I've seen you. I've heard you. Everybody has. Now, it might be the vocal, you know, I still think it's a majority, even though sometimes it's tough to gauge because the, you know, I know it's cliche, but the minority can be, uh, look like the vocal majority. But it does seem like most LSU fans and a lot of LSU boosters are quickly jumping off this Maneri bandwagon. And Maneri yesterday in his post-game interview certainly looked completely dejected. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll tonight, do you think LSU baseball will host a regional? And it basically comes down to, do you think LSU is going to beat Arkansas in that three-game series this weekend? If LSU beats number four Arkansas, wins two out of three, and that seems like a real tall task. If they do that, their IPI will get a nice bump, and you're probably looking at hosting a regional. Now, you'd have to win some games in that SEC conference tournament, most likely. But we do know Paul Maneri's teams traditionally play exceptionally well this time of year on into that conference tournament in Hoover and on into the regional. I mean, they've won six out of the last 10 SEC conference championships. They've made seven consecutive regionals, NCAA tournaments. They have made, what, three of the past six College World Series in Omaha. We'll get into this in hour number two. But I think it's going to become the most pressing question, at least from a coaching standpoint, on LSU's campus, which is interesting considering Will Wade's situation right now. So we're going to take a break here to open up. When we come back, we're going to have on Dan Feldman, a pro basketball talk, as that Bucks celtics game has gone to halftime. I want to get him on to talk about that one and also preview what's coming up later tonight. So Dan Feldman comes up next. Just getting started. It's Logan behind the glass tonight. I'm Seth Dunlap here on WWL. Told you two games in the NBA tonight. First one's at halftime. The Bucks 52, Celtics 39. It's a 3-1 series lead for Milwaukee. They're trying to close out Boston, a demoralized Celtics squad. And then later tonight, of course, massive game five between Houston and Golden State. That one at the Oracle in Oakland. As promised, let's bring on in Dan Feldman of NBA's Pro Basketball Talk to give us uh, the lowdown on what's going on in Milwaukee and then preview what's happening later tonight. Dan, uh, thanks for joining us, man. And I guess this tonight is just continuing the, the, the destruction of Boston that not a lot of people saw coming, I guess, into the season. Maybe we saw it coming into the series, man. Yeah, I hope more people saw it coming into the series, though probably not enough. The Celtics have shown us who they are throughout the year, and so have the Bucks. The Bucks are a much better team. Uh, the Celtics just haven't quite realized their talent in the way we thought they would, and you know some of that is maybe they're not quite as talented as we thought but it's also we probably didn't give enough credit to how tough the mix would be of bringing in Kyrie Irving who didn't play in last year's playoffs uh, and bringing in Gordon Hayward who pretty much missed the entire season last year into a team that was clicking and had some young players starting to establish themselves that's not an easy mix 
No, uh, no, it's not. Do, do you believe that this is going to be uh, at least a partial dismantling of this roster from Ky- Kyrie and maybe some pieces that are traded away? I don't even know if the Anthony Davis deal is even in play anymore with what's going on there, uh, Dan. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I can definitely see Kyrie Irving leaving at this point, and he's brought the speculation on himself. He didn't have to go out of his way before the season to say, I plan to resign with the Celtics, but he did. That was the expectation. He said it. And then he's the one who brings up, ask me July 1st, that, that no longer is he sticking by that. Well, if he's not as committed as he was before the season, I think that means a lot. Now, maybe he'll still resign. They can offer him the most money. It's still a solid situation. I mean, look at the Celtics are in the second round. They're well coached. They have a deep roster. They're, they're uh, sound in the front office. There's a lot of things to like, and he might still end up re-signing, but him backtracking on how sure he is about that, I, I think, speaks volumes. Yeah, indeed. Okay, enough about Boston, because they're going to lose this series. Let's talk about the team that looks a lot better here, uh, and that's Milwaukee, and uh, Yanis only has six points in this game, but they've still running away from Boston. Uh, is it time to legitimately start taking Milwaukee serious as a title contender this year, Dan? Welcome to the bandwagon. I've I've been there. Now I, I still think the Warriors, uh, you know, are the are the best team and are going to to win if they can get by Houston. I think we do have to acknowledge that the Warriors are locked into a a tight playoff series where the Bucks are about to advance to the conference finals. The Bucks have been the best performing team throughout the season. They were dominant in the regular season they were excellent offensively excellent defensively they carried it over into the playoffs sometimes we overthink it the team that's playing the best throughout the entire season maybe we should look at them as a more serious threat (laughs) yeah uh, no doubt and uh, I don't know maybe that's what's happening uh, with Toronto a little bit too Um, with Milwaukee and of course Giannis uh, I guess where do you put him in, in this pantheon of, of NBA stars right now? I'm not talking about projecting three, four years down the road. I think everybody believes he might be the best player in the league by then. But right now, is he in that? I think he's in the conversation. Is he the best player in the league, Dan? Ooh, it's tough. I mean, he's right there in the mix with Kawhi Leonard, uh, with Kevin Durant. I think Steph Curry deserves more consideration in this. He's not playing so well right now at this moment, so nobody's talking about him. But everybody else in the discussion has had rough spots, too. They just aren't having them right at this moment. Steph Curry has been very good in a lot of playoff moments. I don't think there's some trend here. I'm not willing to uh, eliminate LeBron James yet. No, he didn't make the playoffs. His team didn't make the playoffs, but he's still excellent. Uh, James Harden probably deserves a little consideration here, too. So I think it's a deep, as deep and balanced of a discussion as we've had in a long time. Uh, at this very moment, it's hard to pick against Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant. How you parse those two, man, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, is, is Giannis, I guess, what Anthony Davis was supposed to be? And maybe AD will eventually be that when he's gone uh, from New Orleans. But is, is that what we all thought Anthony Davis would be? And we're seeing it up there in Milwaukee? You know, I think that's an interesting comparison uh, where both of them still still this far into their careers. I think some of the question is, well, how will they respond 
in the biggest moments. They haven't been there. You know, this is Giannis' first time in the second round. Uh, and, you know, obviously if the, the Bucks win, it'll be his first time in the conference finals. Anthony Davis hasn't obviously made it that far to the conference finals. And so that's a, a big part of the question. But as far as being the franchise player that you can build around and build your entire system around, yeah, I think that is Giannis, but it also might be Anthony Davis and maybe the Pelicans didn't do a good enough job of of making AD that player, even though AD was capable of being that player. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, final thing on the Bucks, Dan, how big has Miritich been for them since that trade, of course, coming here from uh, the New Orleans organization? Well, he, he spent a lot of time injured in Milwaukee, so he hasn't made as big an impact as I think the Bucks would have hoped. But he stepped in and been a nice player. He's made some uh, – timely three-pointers in this playoff series his value he is unafraid to shoot he's got great range he gets up his three-pointer he really stresses defenses which creates a lot of floor spacing and no he's not a great defender but he competes uh in in milwaukee he's a little bit miscast because they use him more at small forward i think he's more of a power forward so that's going to limit him just with their other options but he's a really good player who helps them Second half just underway in Milwaukee, 56-41 right now. We're talking to Dan Feldman, NBA's pro basketball talk. It should be one of your daily stops here throughout the playoffs. And let's get into that massive game five later tonight. And are you surprised that the home teams have held serve uh, in this series? I I didn't think it'd go this, I guess, chalk (laughs) from the home teams winning, I guess, what, all, all four first games. It's a little surprising. Yeah, I'm surprised that Houston won both games. I'm not yeah. surprised that Golden State won both of its games at home. I, I think uh, the Warriors are the better team. The Rockets have to play very well and hope that the Warriors have a somewhat off-shooting night to win. That happened twice in Houston. There is a path for the Rockets to win games in the series and then therefore to win the series, but it's a much narrower path than the Warriors have. If the Warriors are knocking down shots or James Harden isn't awesome as a scorer and completely unguardable, it's going to be very, very tough. Uh, and so the the Warriors, I think, have a clearer path, but the Rockets can win, and they're making this hard on the Warriors. They're making it hard on the Warriors in a year where the, the Warriors haven't always responded well when facing adversity. Nope. Uh, when facing adversity, sometimes they've bickered among themselves. Sometimes they haven't played hard enough. And the thought was always, okay, when the biggest moments come, they'll pull it together. And I think that's a valid idea. It could happen, but we don't know it's going to happen. And the Rockets are testing him on it. No doubt. You mentioned adversity and Clay Thompson reports today that he is now very unhappy in Golden State, and we know he's struggled mightily. Steph struggled this series, as you pointed out. Are, are those reports on Clay true, and, and how big of a rift inside that locker room is there? Well, I, I think there can be a lot of things going on at once. You might not love the exact role you have, uh, but when your team is winning, you don't complain about it. When you're struggling, then you complain a little more, hey, I'm not getting my shots. I can't get into a rhythm. I can't help the team when it's like this. Winning cures almost all ills. And so if the Warriors win, I think Clay Thompson will feel better about that situation. He's also heading into free agency. If he makes an all-NBA team, he'll be eligible for a supermax contract. It'd be very, very expensive for the Warriors considering their luxury tax issues. And so they're going to have to make a decision if that comes or even if it doesn't come. 
do we want to give Clay Thompson a max contract? Do we want to give him a super max contract? Do we want to give him a partial super max? And as they're evaluating all that, they're going to now have in the back of their head, hey, maybe he's not happy here and we have to offer him enough money to make him happy. So some of this could also just be contract negotiation. Hmm, that's a good point. Uh, how, how have you liked the officiating in this series so far? <laughs> I've I've been fine with it. Uh, I think Me too, Dan. I have I'm too. Glad the I really teams, have. Yeah, and and I'm glad the teams got over it too, uh, and stopped complaining so much because it's been fine. Um, it's not perfect. It's never perfect. But I don't think officiating should be the major story of this series. It's a well played series between two very good teams, and I, I'm glad both of those teams, for the most part, are concentrating more on that since game one. It sounds like you've got Golden State tonight. I do. Uh, they're the better team. They're playing at home. I don't want to overthink it. All right. Dan Feldman, NBA's pro basketball talk. We'll let you get back to that second half out in Milwaukee. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Dan Feldman, again, you've got to go there every single day if you're paying attention to the NBA playoffs. I do. You should. NBA's pro basketball talk. NBC's pro basketball talk. Uh, pardon me. Dan Feldman quite often on the program here. And it is now 5946 Milwaukee maintaining that 13-point advantage. Jason Tatum going to the free-throw line. Tatum has not had a good series. He's not having a good game. He's not made a field goal. 0 of 3 from the floor. All four of his points so far coming from the free-throw line. And he'll get uh, another one here, and he makes that one. So give him five points now, and that deficit is cut to 12. We're talking about a little LSU baseball. It's a text from the 985 on that. Oh, I pull for LSU coaches as well. If that wasn't obvious, I just can't stand uh, their alumni booster when and their tacky students with their tacky, vulgar crowd cursing. Well, I mean, you can call LSU out on that, but if you go to any campus across the country, you're going to have that. I'm, I'm not excusing it. And in fact, I don't like it at all. I think it's a little bit of a plague in our college athletics everywhere. But that's not an LSU problem. That's just a you know a problem across the country i'm not going to blame lsu for that at all a couple of notes here on lsu basketball uh, lsu's tremont waters and nas reed they've both been invited to the nba draft combine that will be held next week that means the the other guys who declared early skylar mays emmett williams javante smart they have not been invited now no lsu players were invited last year that includes tremont Waters, who had declared and then come back and you would think this means, and I say think, you would think this means certainly Nas Reed is gone and, and maybe this edges Tremont a little more out the door. I do wonder about Skyler coming back or not because of his age. He has a chance right now, even if it's not in the NBA, if it's the G League or if it's the overseas. Remember, the clock is ticking on his career and his ability to make money. And he certainly can play professionally somewhere. And Emmett Williams, I know a lot of teams would like his upside, and I'm not just talking about NBA teams. Again, I'm talking overseas. I'm talking about the G League, and maybe with the cloud hanging over the LSU basketball program, he decides to walk away too. And the Javante Smart situation is just in its own category because of the connections that, that he had and Will Wade had on those wiretaps talking about Smart and offering him something there. So maybe Javante sees – LSU his career over because he doesn't want to get caught up in that and miss playing time and miss a chance to develop 504-260-1870 that's the number all right when we come back we'll get into our NFL preseason quarterback rankings all 32 quarterbacks sorted into six tiers that's next on the last lap one of my favorite 
recurring segments that we have done on this show has been our NFL quarterback tiers rankings that we've done. Gosh, we've done it for five years since I've been hosting or co-hosting the show on this station when it used to be on 3WL, and we've continued that tradition um, through now. We do this a couple of times, once in the offseason, usually uh, in the, the preseason, middle of the season as well. Sometimes we do it like three times a year. But what we do is we look at all 32 NFL quarterbacks this time of year, the, the projected 32 starters, and then a couple of more who might be in competitions. And we, we try to sort them into one of six different tiers, from tier one to tier six, tier one being the, the elite, tier six being well, not enough information. And we also have the CFL tier right below that. And we're doing it now because teams have reassembled their rosters for the most part for this year, and we wanted to update this. And quarterback play in the league, it's it's been sensational to watch. Probably as good as it's ever been. I don't think there's really any argument about that from top to bottom. It, it makes the job of sorting all these players, all these quarterbacks into these categories, these tiers, pretty difficult. And whether I, It could be rule changes, development in college, or just, I guess, an unprecedented talent influx of the position. There's no doubt that we've never seen consistent high-level play this widespread across the NFL. So when we talk about these tiers, they're ranked relative to their peers, the performance relative to their peers. For example, Derek Carr is going to be in Tier 4. Let me get to it. Well, he's there today, but if you look at his production, well, a decade ago, his statistical output probably would have a lot considering him at least a star, if not elite. Now, I don't think anybody would consider Derek Carr in either of those tiers categories right now. Now, how I classified and ranked these quarterbacks, I didn't just use one metric. I used traditional stats. I used advanced stats like PFF's rankings and also my own subjective analysis. So let's get into this. We'll start with Tier 1. And the quarterbacks in the elite tier, it's what we call this one, the elite, they separate themselves from the tier below, the stars, as they have the ability to single-handedly carry an offense through an entire season. And that's key here. They haven't, again, single-handedly carry an offense. They have that ability, regardless of the lack of talent possibly around them. They are irreplaceable. They're franchise stalwarts. And all of these guys, every single one of them, Hall of Fame trajectories. Also, you could say league-wide shifts in scheme play calling can be attributed to these gentlemen. I've got six players here, six and only six, which makes about 17% of the league, which is a little high. I used to like to have five or less, 15% or less of the league in the elite tier. But frankly, I don't think you can take any of these guys out, not a single one. Tom Brady, no-brainer there. Patriots, another Super Bowl, 29 touchdowns, 11 interceptions last year. 90.7 PFF ranking, which puts him fourth in that category. Andrew Lux in this tier, Indianapolis Colts, last season, 39 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 4,600 yards, 91.1 rating at PFF. Andrew Luck, Luck looks to be past his injury problems, and, and he now is that quarterback that everybody thought the Colts were going to get when he was drafted. He still has problems with turnovers. He makes bad decisions at certain points late in games, but frankly, it would be foolish to put Andrew Luck anywhere else but the elite. Patrick Mahomes, we know he's in the elite. MVP, 50 touchdowns, 12 picks in his first year as a starter. 
5,097 yards, and he was the number two ranked quarterback at PFF at 93.2. Aaron Rodgers is in this category, of course, the elites. I don't get the Aaron Rodgers hate. I really don't. His team hasn't made the playoffs the last two years, but that's not, that's not because of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this gossip about stuff behind the scenes, whatever. He's still performing like one of the six best quarterbacks in the league. There's no doubt about it. 25 touchdowns, two interceptions last year for what people are describing as, I don't know, a bad year for Aaron Rodgers. 25 touchdowns, two picks, 4,400 yards, and a 90 rating at PFF. Come on. Rodgers is elite. We know Drew Brees is elite, and these aren't ranked in any specific order. Again, all these guys are just elite. I'm not going from top to bottom in the elite, but we know Drew's in here for the Saints. 32 touchdowns, five interceptions, second in MVP voting. Set the record again for completion percentage at 74%. Just a tick under 4,000 yards, 3,992. And he was Pro Football Focus's top-rated quarterback last year, 94.7 rating. That's right. He beat Patrick Mahomes in that category. Also, Russell Wilson's got to be in here. If you don't have Russell Wilson in this tier, uh, don't even try to bring any other analysis to NFL football because you don't know what you're talking about. Russell Wilson, 35 touchdowns, seven interceptions, second in the league in touchdown passes last year. He led the league in touchdown passes the year before that. Oh, while playing in a run-heavy offense that passes the ball only about 52% of the time. And he's still leading the league or second in the league in touchdown passes. 66% 66% completions, 3,500 yards in this run first offense, and an 87.2 rating by PFF. Russell Wilson's elite. That's it for Tier 1. I don't have anybody else in here. And frankly, you'd be really hard-pressed to argue to me, or at least convince me, that anybody else belongs in this tier. I think that tier is pretty well defined. Tier 2, the stars, a category that... When we've done these rankings, it's expanded and contracted rapidly over the last couple of years. These are quarterbacks who play at a consistently high level. They're statistically superior to their peers, the majority of them. The Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks, MVP contenders, and some Hall of Fame candidates. They're still playing at a statistically elite level, if you want to use that word, but just a little bit behind everybody I had in Tier 1 as we continue our NFL quarterback tiers. Ben Roethlisberger's in here, although I don't think he's as solidly in this category as you might think. That's because if you look at the advanced stats on how he plays, it's not quite as good as traditional metrics. That's because he's a you know volume passer, if you want to use an NBA phrase. Lots of throws up there in the Steelers offense 34 touchdowns 16 interceptions 67 percent completions did lead the league with 5,129 yards but that PFF rating which kind of goes to well it's more of a volume thing than an efficiency thing right now with Roethlisberger 78.2 Philip Rivers is in tier two for the Chargers 32 touchdowns 12 interceptions 90.8 PFF rating 4,300 yards he is going to be a Hall of Famer. Anybody who thinks Philip Rivers, just because he's never played in a Super Bowl, never won one, isn't a Hall of Famer, I'm sorry. The career accumulation of his statistics and his consistent high-level play this far into his career, Philip Rivers is going to be a Hall of Famer, and he's also in Tier 2. Matt Ryan, sorry, Saints fans. If you're objective, Matt Ryan's in this tier. 35 touchdowns last year, 7 interceptions, 69% completions, Almost 5,000 yards 
and an 84.3 PFF rating, which puts him at the sixth best, uh, excuse me, the seventh best rating according uh, quarterback according to PFF. Jared Goff is here, and I've been critical of Goff, but I'm sorry, even if you think he's a product of Sean McVay's system in L.A. Well, a lot of people said that about Tom Brady and his success early on. A lot of people early in Drew's career in New Orleans thought this was more of a Sean Payton thing. No, I'm sorry. Jared Goff right now is a star in this league. He sells tickets. He sells merchandise. And he wins games. 32 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 65% completion, 85.5 rating at PFF and 4,700 yards. Final guy in my star list, and buckle up because you're not going to agree with me here. Most of you will not, but I think it's clear that Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans belongs in Tier 2 as a star. He had an injury during his rookie year, but when he is on the field, I'm sorry whether you use an eyeball test, traditional statistics, or advanced metrics they all point to him being one of the eight or nine best quarterbacks in the league right now, only a couple of years in. He's a star, folks. Get used to it. Quit the hate. 26 touchdowns, nine interceptions, 68% completion, 4,165 yards, and an 82.6 PFF rating, which puts him ahead of everybody except for one in Tier 3 and also puts him ahead – of a couple of guys, including Ben Roethlisberger in this tier two, Deshaun Watson, a star, and I think he's going to be a star for quite a long time in the National Football League. We're going to take a break. It's our NFL quarterback tier rankings, an updated look at that for the 2019 offseason. Next up, tiers three and four, the underappreciated and rising stars and the Trent Dilfers. You can weigh in. Where did I get it right and wrong? You can text us at 870-870. The phone line is 504-260-1870. I'm Seth Dunlap. Logan's behind the glass. It's the last lap on WWL. We're diving into our updated look at the NFL quarterback tier rankings for the 2019 offseason. We've done my first two tiers. Six guys in the elite tier. Brady, Luck, Mahomes, Rogers, Breeze, and Wilson. Really quickly, Reality Man on the phone line says my first tier is wrong. Uh, Reality Man, only about 30 seconds for you, but where am I wrong, dude? Hey, how you doing, Seth? Hey, good, uh, Reality Man. Good to hear from you. All right, look, uh, let me give you a dose of reality. Uh, you got one thing wrong on your first tier. <laughs> okay, who you is it? You got to take Andrew Luck off and put Phillip Rivers above him because Andrew Luck ain't done jack. Well, you know what, reality man? Here's You know what the, the truth is? If I was going to rank, and here's where I don't necessarily – I'm not going to fault you for saying that because Luck was my sixth guy in tier one. And I had Rivers as my top guy in Tier 2. So, if you want to flip-flop those guys, I, frankly, I'm not going to have a problem with it. So, yeah, I think we're pretty close there. Maybe I just expanded Tier 1 a little bit more. Thanks, Reality Man. Got to get back to this. Is I want to get this in before the top of the hour. Really quickly, uh, Bucks leading the Celtics 76-60 to 60 in the second quarter. Tier 3, the underappreciated and the rising stars. This is defined as quarterbacks usually – with a remarkable athletic skill set that puts them beyond the next category, which is the Trent Dilfer category. These guys have the ability to look like the best quarterback in the league on any given day, but sometimes they look like the worst quarterback in the league. Either their track record too short or too inconsistent, in my mind, 
to merit consideration in the Stars tier or just too big of an injury history. Nick Foles of now the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not a star. He's better than a Trent Dilfer. He's won a Super Bowl, won a playoff game last year. Seven touchdowns, four interceptions in limited action late in the season and early in the season. 72% completion percentage, 76 rating according to PFF. Probably lower tier three, but I think he's going to be a nice starter for Jacksonville. Andy Dalton's in this tier. I understand some people would put him in the Trent Dilfer tier, but if you objectively look at his play, I do think he's one of the 14 or so best quarterbacks in the league. 21 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He's got an 82 rating, according to PFF. That puts him at number 10 in the NFL. So they're as high on as Dalton as I am. 2,600 yards. Baker Mayfield's here. Rising star, certainly. No doubt about it. 84.5 rating, according to PFF. That puts him in the top eight. 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. Too many turnovers, but... No surprise there from a rookie, 3,700 yards. Big things in store, most people think, for the Browns this season into the future. Dak Prescott is here. Yeah, he's better than the Trent Dilfers, and I think he is maybe the most underappreciated quarterback in the NFL, so he squarely belongs in here because that's the title of the tier. 22 touchdowns, 8 picks, 68% completions, 3,885 yards, 75 rating according to PFF. Low tier 3, and maybe he'll – uh, falter down to that Trent Dilford tier, but right now he's in tier three. Carson Wentz is here. I had him previously in the Stars tier in tier two, but injuries have derailed the last couple of years. 21 touchdowns, seven picks for Wentz last year before the injury, 70% completions, great athletic skill set, 79 rating according to PFF. Big year, though, for Wentz. He's got to stay healthy. Matt Stafford has also dropped down for me from tier two to tier three for the Lions. Not a good year. Maybe Stafford's worse. Well, worst, I should say, in the NFL. 21 touchdowns, 11 picks, 66% completions, and a 77 rating according to PFF. Just 3,700 yards for Stafford. Kirk Cousins, high tier three for me. Yeah, high tier three. I almost put him in tier two because whether it's advanced metrics, traditional stats, uh, Cousins, and this has nothing to do with his contract. I'm not looking at contract value and whether you're playing up to that, but Relative to his peers, it's been pretty good. 30 touchdowns, 10 picks, 70% completion, 4,300 yards, and a 79 rating according to PFF. Those are my seven guys in Tier 3. Foles, Dalton, Mayfield, Prescott, Went, Stafford, and Cousins. Going through my NFL quarterback rankings, updated for the 2019 offseason. Here we go to Tier 4. We get to the bottom half of the league. I call this the Trent Dilfer tier. Game managers, but I don't use that as a pejorative necessarily. I think these guys could win playoff games and Super Bowls, but they got to have a great roster around them. Also, just because you're in this tier doesn't mean you can't advance up pretty quickly. Some of these guys I think might. Marcus Mariota is here. He's just been way too inconsistent in his NFL career. When he's healthy, I think he's a capable NFL starter, but not a star. 11 touchdowns, 8 picks, 69% completion, 76 rating or PFF last year, got banged up. Flacco, Joe Flacco now with the Broncos. Limited action last year, 12 touchdowns, 6 picks, 72 rating to PF, uh, according to PFF, 61% completions. Flacco now squarely in this tier. Maybe I'll rename this the Joe Flacco tier next time. Mitch Trubisky is here, and he might 
hang around here his entire career for the Bears. I'm not a Trubisky truther at all. 24 touchdowns, 12 picks, won a lot of games because the Bears' defense was the best the league has seen in the last handful of years in the NFL. Only a 63 rating, according to PFF. That would put him at replacement level. But year two, I'm moving him up. Jameis Winston, Bucks. Might move up with Bruce Arians coaching him. 19 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Frankly, that's not good enough to keep your job for a long time in the National Football League. 70.2 rating, according to PFF, just under 3,000 yards. Also, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, but I'm being consistent to what I've said about Newton over the years. Cam Newton, Panthers, in this tier. He's too injured. His performance as a passer just has not been good since that MVP campaign. There's a variety of reasons for that. Probably injuries at the top. 24 touchdowns, 13 picks, 68% completions. That was a career high last year with Norv Turner. 70.9 rating, according to PFF. That puts him in the bottom half of the league. Last two tiers here. Tier 5, replacement level recently. Uh, recency, I should say. Uh, what we've seen from these quarterbacks recently, no, it doesn't warrant consideration in a higher tier. I mean, I mean that's just it. I, I could dive in here more, but let's be frank, whether they're rookies and we need to see more or they were rookies and they didn't play well or they're veteran guys who didn't play well, they belong in this tier. Sorry, go ahead and at me. Josh Allen of the Bills as a rookie just wasn't good. 10 touchdowns, 12 picks, 52% completion, 65.5 rating at PFF. Josh Rosen, Dolphins, also terrible. Led the uh, Cardinals to one of the worst seasons for an NFL offense in the league's history 11 touchdowns 14 interceptions 55% completions 49.1 a one PFF rating that was the worst in the league boy Sam Darnold was interesting to me I almost put him in the rising star category and I just didn't know where to put Sam Darnold but if I'm being objective here not just using my own subjective eyeball test yeah, he wasn't that great. Darnold, 70 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, only 58% completions, 64.7 PFF rating, only 2,800 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo's here for me, way too injured. And we're at the point in his career where he's no longer considered a young gun. Five touchdowns, three picks before that injury last year, just 60% completions, 62.6 according to PFF. That's the rating. Also, Eli Manning is in this category. Sorry, Eli, your time has come and gone. Uh, traditional stats, okay. Advanced stats, terrible. 21 touchdowns, 11 picks, 66% completion, but a 64 rating according to PFF. And finally, I don't have enough information on a couple of rookies, Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray not placing them yet. And Lamar Jackson, I don't have enough information on Lamar Jackson to place him in a tier, so I need to see him probably through the first half of next season before I do that. That's my NFL quarterback tiers. You can find them online at www.com. They're in print form there or on your computer or phone screen. Love to hear from you, 504-260-1870. You can also text me at 870-870. Where did I get it right? Where did I get it wrong? Next hour, lots of NBA playoffs talk. Also, we'll get into LSU baseball and their latest 12-1 thumping at the hands of Louisiana Tech. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.